everybody, Jonathan Dorr with you once again. Welcome aboard to the Supply Side Podcast. Just a short episode for you. Just a couple of reflections on something that has been, I guess, rumbling around the corridors of my mind as I begin to explore this area of predictive classical economics and supply side theory, having come to it very late in life. I like to say I had the world's worst economics teacher in the 11th grade. I miss the boat, friends. I'm 47 years of age right now, and I wish that uh, if I'd had that teacher then, a really good teacher, I may have been way ahead of the curve. But maybe what I can bring here is some freshness, right? Coming into this space and encountering economic theory later in life and uh, the perplexity of it all. Just fascinating. The idea of all these different economic models, that everybody has these different visions of how things really work. And of course, uh, you know, interestingly, the desire for some economists to see it as a hard science, but then how can it truly be a hard science when you've got humans involved, right? Humans and individual human decision making. So all of this is new to me. I'm really enjoying the space and I hope as the podcast develops over time, we can keep bringing you these great guests we've had on recently. But uh, hopefully I can just bring the the freshness of these reflections. And the one that I want to bring today is really around the limits of government. So I've been thinking, obviously, with the the pandemic and the lockdowns and the arbitrary nature here in Australia, this week's just been ludicrous. It's just, I mean, you're just like flipping a coin based on what any state premier, uh, for my American listeners, that's like our governor, is going to do at any given moment. And it's, it's, it would be funny if it wasn't basically destroying the working class and the middle class in the process and driving this seismic polarization of wealth, it's extraordinary. And I just have this deep inherent suspicion of overt amounts of control. And does that make me a libertarian? I guess it does. I, I, I see a, a role for government, and I've often said in previous episodes that if you look at Rothbard's book, The Case Against the Fed, he talks about the, the, the three roles of government, which I memorized, and those three were the uh, were national defense, number two was the enforcement of contracts, and three was guaranteeing personal and private safety. So in terms of, you know, property and personal safety. Three things. That's all we had. And I think you'll agree with me. The government seems to be somewhat interested in doing more than three things these days. I guess the question now is, what things doesn't the government do? What things does it not have its prodigious snout firmly wedged in? So that got me thinking about the limits of government, right? Like it's it's an important aspect of political economy, of philosophy, of economics. And I want to share with you some interesting quotes. It got triggered by yesterday I listened to an extensive interview on uh, Real Vision between Raoul Paul and Amlan Roy. Now, Amlan Roy is the head of global macro research at State Street Global Advisors. Formerly with Credit Suisse and uh, has had an extensive career over many decades. And it's really quite an excellent interview. So if you jump on YouTube, go to Real Vision and just do a search for the latest one between Amlan Roy and Raoul Paul. It's fascinating. It's around. It's all around demographics. But uh, and sort of micro demographics as well as macro. It's a very, very interesting interview. Now, the reason I mention is because right at the end, 
you know, Amlin Roy basically talks about this Masters of the Universe concept, central bankers, and he's like, I mean, this is a guy that's really been exposed to it all. He's operated at the highest levels with, you know, the IMF and all sorts of things, and he's basically saying that there's a problem that these, and he literally used that language, these masters of the universe in terms of politicians and central bankers creating extraordinary outcomes in the world. And it struck me because, you know, he's really been part of that world, but he was critiquing it. This idea that, you know, this, I mean, I think Peter Schiff might have said it at some point that, you know, at the Fed, right, you, you have these, the governors, the 12 people that sit around once a month and basically direct the economic trade winds of the world. So it's this idea that these, these 12 magical people that are so utterly brilliant that without them, you know, the economy can't run, which leads to my other insight, I guess, that I've, I've often shared that, you know, the, the U.S. Fed has over 1,500 PhDs on its books, on staff, 1,500 economics PhDs on their staff. Now, I'm not, uh, as Forrest Gump famously said, uh, I may not be an intelligent man, <laughs> but you got 1,500 PhDs in economics and you got your dot-com crisis, you got your 2008 global financial crisis, you got so many things unfolding. I mean, you'd think with 1,500 PhDs that the world would be in a a bit less of a debt crisis, right? Anyway, it's just an opinion. What I want to do is share with you just a couple of quotes. One's from The Economist, Judith Sloan, and the final one's from another brilliant writer called Henry Ergus. So Judith Sloan was writing a piece on, the, on, on government overreach, and what she's saying is that we've got to this point in history where governments have convinced themselves that they can create all sorts of outcomes, so she makes an interesting point to start where she says, you know, governments are very happy to claim, you know, success when anything positive happens. And she's talking about COVID here. I'll give you the direct quote. She says, the willingness of governments to claim success when infection and death rates head in favorable directions, but to steer clear of taking responsibility if things go south is bound up in the pretense that governments can precisely control the outcome of this disease. That's an interesting insight, isn't it? The minute there's any kind of spin, any kind of success in the COVID space or the economic space, the governments are very quickly, to, you know, foot on the accelerator, trumpeting their incredible brilliance. But the minute something goes wrong, have you ever heard the government say, you know, Really, it's on us, guys. Sorry, it, it's uh, we got it. We did it. It was us. We got it wrong. We made terrible decisions. We, I don't know what we were thinking, but say, give us another chance, right? You don't hear that a lot. And here in Australia, with the Victorian government, we had over 800 people die because of government mistakes in the quarantine system. I mean, 800 people. And never has there been an apology or, a, you know, there's been reviews and all sorts of stuff, but no one's responsible. Nobody. But let me tell you, friends, the minute there's a slight improvement in anything anywhere, they're all over that like, uh, you know, like a big kid on confectionery. So at the end of the day... It's interesting to note that. And here's a second quote. She says, The increasing tendency of governments to think they can determine all sorts of outcomes, including economic and social ones, even weather events, if, if not if only the correct set of policies are put in place. 
Friedrich von Hayek had another term for the same phenomenon. He called it the fatal conceit, which he used to critique the errors of socialism. The fatal conceit, the belief that governments are full of the smartest people in the room, they're way smarter than, you know, all of us punters sitting in the bleachers, sitting in the stands, and we should be grateful for the amazing things that they're doing. Sorry, I have three young children. I'm not excited about the world that they're going into right now. So, uh, you know, in terms of employment and opportunity... So this idea that governments can just manipulate and control all sorts of outcomes, you know, I think it's fair to say that left alone, the free market tends to do a pretty darn good job of that. It's the information theory of capitalism, right? Like vast numbers of buyers and sellers trading information and trading all sorts of uh, ideas and goods and services, the invisible hand seem to do a pretty good job when they're left alone most of the time. So the fatal conceit is obviously something we've got to be really concerned about. And uh, it's been a big thing for me to, to get to this point of, of moving from complete trust in, in this idea that government was always going to figure it out. I think we need to get back to this accurate vision of reality. An accurate vision of reality. I might go deeper on this in another podcast, but I, in my email signature, I have a great quote from Ayn Rand, and she said this, We have to submit to reality. Money and technology and ideological terrorism can only keep reality at bay for so long. I always like that because, you know, the problem with what's happening with government is that they have a broken view of the truth about, you know, philosophical anthropology which is basically what humans are how we operate how the world operates but the world is not infinitely malleable you can't control everything you know we, governments have this idea that they can just structure reality through policy and everything's going to work and i think we need to have i think we need to have way lower expectations of government all of us need to have an idea that it's on us getting back to this basic idea of it's on us we don't need policy for absolutely everything. We don't need regulation for absolutely everything. I want to wrap this up. Henry Ergus wrote a piece that I really liked, and he's talking about um, Hegel and Hegel's sort of uh, writing and philosophy of culture and and society. And the quote was this. Hegel said that the state is not a work of art. It exists in the world and hence in the sphere of arbitrariness, contingency, and error. One more time, the state is not a work of art. It exists in the world, and hence in the sphere of arbitrariness, contingency, and error. Now, Hegel is just smarter than any of our current politicians anywhere in the world. I mean, this was a you know philosophical, academic genius. And he's making the point that the state cannot be infinitely perfected. We tried that. It was called communism. It led to poverty and starvation and death on a mega scale. The state is not a work of art. It exists in the world and it exists with human brokenness and sin and greed and, you know, arbitrariness, contingency and error. So all of this is not, it's not negative. It's, I'm not like saying, I'm not a pessimist. I'm going, I think what we've got to in terms of political economy, is this belief that the government can fix everything. I know if you're listening to this, you, may, you probably don't have that belief, but my friend, vast numbers of people do. You, know, we're starting, you, know, you might have heard, it, heard them referred to as sheeple. People who are sheep, who just go along and, you know... And where do you think UBI is going to take us, right? Where do you think UBI is going to take us? 
when people are encouraged not to work and, and take funny money and do nothing. And then the government's just going to have a policy for absolutely everything. So that is why supply side matters. That is why classical economics matters because it has an incredibly positive view of what individual men and women can do when they're pretty much left alone to work it out. So let's talk about the limits of government. Please leave a comment if you'd like to. If you're new to the podcast, please press subscribe wherever you're hearing this, the Supply Side Podcast. We've got more great guests coming up for you very soon. Reach out, leave a comment. Uh, You can find everything else on the website, supplysidepartners.com. My name's Jonathan Doyle. This has been the Supply Side Podcast, and I'm going to have another episode for you very soon.